Untouchables. You've been with us at all the last few weeks. You know, we've been talking about some things that are, frankly, that are just difficult things to talk about in church. We don't, we don't talk about them a lot, and so that's why it's called Untouchables. And so, if you've been with us at all, you know, the first week we talked about homosexuality. Uh, of course, last week we talked about addiction. And then this morning, we're going we're gonna to zero in on the idea of mental health. This morning's title of the message is The War in Your Head, and that's really a great way to describe mental health, isn't it? That, that you got to win that war. And you see, when it comes to, to health, and just health in general, I am deeply committed to being healthy. I, I, I am. I am a, I'm strongly committed. I, I am absolutely committed. The fact is that 75% of me is absolutely committed to health. But the problem with that is that the other 25% of me is committed to ice cream and fried tater tots. And herein lies the problem, right? I mean, let's be honest this morning. It's being healthy is, comes down to that, that question, doesn't it? It comes down to which part that I'm going to listen to. And see, mental health is also so deeply wrapped up this concept as well. So it's important for us to consider, and you may be saying this morning, why is this so important? Why is this so vital that we talk about this in church? It seems like a thing you, you talk about someplace else. Why, why church this morning? And, and this is the reason this morning. Because your, your life and your ability to live as God created you starts right here, right? Starts in your head. Sin begins with a decision in your head, doesn't it? Your faith, your, your ability to trust God, that begins with a decision in your head. And it even comes down to this, hating yourself, right? And this is something that people do. People hate themselves. You are a creation of God. God made you. God formed you. God created you. So if you're going to hate yourself, you are hating a creation of God. And that starts with a decision to believe lies. So this morning, really, we're, we're going to get down to this, is that God's more interested in changing our minds than changing our circumstances, isn't he? It's just, it's truth, right? And, and our problem, though, is that we're oftentimes more concerned with God changing our circumstances than changing our minds. And to understand that greater, just look at your prayers, Right? You think about this, and this last week, my daughter was, was sick, and so I prayed a lot about her circumstances, because this is where it comes, is a lot of times our, our prayers revolve around uh, us or those whom we love, God changing our circumstances, and that's just, that's just how it is, that's, that's how it works, but, but here's the deal, circumstances don't last, right? They don't last. You think about that big, heavy, difficult thing that's over your head right now, think about that for a minute. It's not going to last. Now, it may last for a, a while. It may even last for a long time. It may last for a very long time, but the truth is it's not going to last forever. But what does last forever are things that you decide. What does last forever are ways that you decide today that puts you in a place of faith or no faith and such. And so your mind is a place where, the, where a lie is birthed. So you tell me, what part should God be considered about most? God wants your mind, right? So does the enemy. 
So does the world. The world wants your mind. The world wants, to, wants, wants your mind. Every place you go, you walk into stores and, and, and you walk into a, a restaurant or whatever else, they want your dollar and they want your mind. You watch TV. Madison Avenue wants your mind. They want you. They want you. And so do you, right? That's why it's a battle. And that's why it's the greatest battle that you and I will ever face. That's why it's a consideration this morning for us to think about Walking in mental health. Now this morning we have to consider and be kind of begin and establish three things this morning. The first one is that God created you and I and will not force us to change our minds. It's a basic truth, but it's one truth that we oftentimes believe but yet don't operate with. God won't force you. He's given you what's called a free will, and a free will is a blessing. Some people teach and believe that God's, God does not give a free will, that he makes and forces us to do things. It just simply is not true. That God planted, God created, God formed us with the ability to choose right from wrong, right? We're not robots. If we don't have that, we're robots. We do whatever, okay, God, yes, I will do what you tell me to do. I will do whatever, you know. And if that's the case, then we don't, we're, we're nothing more than robots. That's not true. God does not force us to change our mind. Now, God has given us the word to help us to learn about this. God has given us the spirit to persuade us and to challenge us. God's given us tools in our tool chest. But when it comes down to it, he does not force us to change our minds. That's first. Number two this morning is that enemy, enemy also doesn't. The enemy also cannot force you to change your minds. And that's what you have to grasp this morning. Because if you today are struggling in a place where your mind is just a war happening, you can be tempted to believe the enemy has stacked all the cards against you and you cannot possibly win. And that's a cop-out. The enemy cannot force you to change your mind. The idea where, you know, that, that says we believe that the devil made me do it, right? It's, it's, that's a big fat lie. He, he didn't. You know, the, the devil can't make you do anything. So here's the truth that I want you to speak this morning. And let's, let's repeat this today. Repeat this. You and I are absolutely in charge of our own thoughts. You and I are absolutely in charge of our own thoughts. Now let's pause here for a moment. Because some of you guys are like, oh my goodness, that is scary, scary place, right? And you're like, man, that's not, that's not good. You are this morning. You're in charge of that. No one forces that and makes that. Again, though, this morning, I will tell you, this is where we're going the rest of the day, that you and I are in charge of our thoughts, but we are, and we are also in charge of those things that come in and influence our thoughts. And that this morning is the crux of this message, that you, if you want to see your thought life change, you have to learn how to allow what influences your, your thoughts be God, or it will be the opposite case, which is not good. So, so here's the truth. God wants to fix your minds by you fixing it on him, right? That is inspiration. When God wants us to, God wants to fix our minds, by us fixing it on him. Satan wants to have free reign of your mind. 
He wants to do whatever lie he can to take effect and take charge and bring you to bondage. That's what the enemy's heart and plan is to do that. So that's temptation. That's addiction. It's many other shuns like that. That's it's not what we, want, what, we, what we want to happen. Lastly, which oftentimes this is where this leads to, is that you and I would like to be in total self-control, Right? We want to be. We don't want God. We don't want the enemy. We want it to be all about us. That's that's our a big issue in our culture in our world. Well, if if fixing our mind on God is inspiration, if Satan's free reign in our mind is temptation, then that's stupid. If we want to be in full control of of our minds, because how many of you know your minds sometimes change? Squirrel, right? No, you know sometimes that, that's that's how it is, isn't it? We need to fix our minds on something better. That's why it's a war. Now, back to mental health, this is a big deal. Did you know that 18.2% of adults in America have some form of measurable, uh, treatable, but, but they say that they have a mental illness of some kind, it's been diagnosed. 18.2% of adults. That's about one in five of the people. So look around you. One in five people in this room is crazy, right? Now, and you're like, I know who it is, too. Believe me, no. You know, <laughs> And, I, and, and I, it may be higher in some places. Last week, uh, there was a NASCAR race on TV. It was a big, big deal. Have you ever before seen, seen NASCAR? Uh, the numbers of crazy people there might be a little higher. You know, let's just be honest. Um, you know, I, I was at a NASCAR race one time, and I, I saw this dude walking down there. They had this, it's, which is, it's an experience, by the way. There's hundreds of thousands of people at these, these NASCAR races, and there's this kind of promenade set up in front of the stadium and there's trucks and there's all this stuff and you can buy merchandise and things so there's this guy walking down this this thing between all this stuff he is shirtless he's wearing some short cutoff jeans he's got work boots on and he has one of those hats with two cans of beer in it and he's at the straw thing he's drinking this beer and he's got he's got his arms out like this carrying two giant spent tires and I was like that's proof enough that he has some crazy people in this world, right? But, but no, that's, it's, you know, now I offended someone here today. I didn't mean to do that. But, you, you know, that's, that's just the, the way that things are, isn't it? We don't often talk about mental health in church, do we? But we should. It could be helpful because some of you this morning are sitting here and you know either yourself or someone you love or care about has struggles with mental health. And we're going to discuss and talk about today. What, if anything, does the Bible say about mental health? And, of course, the, the truth is it says a lot about mental health. It talks about this a lot. We're going to go this morning to the Scriptures. Open, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to focus today on verses 3 through 5. And actually, we've got two kind of chunks of Scripture we're going to kind of work through and focus on today. They're really important for us to get. And this shows us a picture of mental health. And in this passage, we're going to encounter a word called strongholds. As you read this today, we're going to encounter this word. That's a big word. It's an important word. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word strongholds? If you say, me, holding something, well, you're close, but no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's wow, that was a bad joke. It just kind of full, completely fell on, on bad ears. But, but anyway, no, do you maybe think of you know, uh, 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 you think of a, a castle or maybe a, a very strong building or, or whatever it might be, what comes to your mind? 
You look at this passage, you look at this through a historical eye, what strongholds speak to is a, is a fort. It's a, a strong stone military establishment, a physical, literal physical place. Now, I got a picture up here, they'll show it in a moment, of, of a place that I visited like this one time. This place, it's, com- it's coming, it's called, uh, and there you see it, this is called Fort Niagara. Fort Niagara is in New York. It is by Niagara Falls, kind of hints the name. And uh, it's an interesting place in our our nation's history. It was first started as a wooden, small wooden outpost, a fort, from the French. And the French put this here to protect their interest in the United States of America. Well, back then it wasn't the U.S. yet. And it was this small little place. It's situated in this most amazing location. For you to come into the northern part of, of New York, and there's this kind of tributaries, and there's all these networks of lakes and rivers and such, very important back in the old days, Fort Niagara was situated just in the most amazing location. But when the U.S. Uh, became its own nation, we took over Fort Niagara, and at some point along the line, this fort burned down, and we replaced it with what you see behind me. It is a large fort. The walls are incredibly thick. The walls are probably thicker than this room is wide. It's it's amazing. This doesn't really do it justice because you can't see as well, but you see the little brick wall in the front, but behind there, there's this large kind of spot where there's rocks and there's dirt and such, and it is thick. And I will tell you, it is tall, and it seems very, very impenetrable. When you go up to this fort, you look at it, it's just, it's, it's, it's massive, it's, it's incredible, it's very, very uh, uh, um, impressive. It's a great place for, a, for an army to be protected, for an army to make plans. It's a great place for an army to rest and to wait until their next attack would come. And that's essentially what Fort Niagara was at its beginning. It was a place where armies would, our armies would sit and wait and prepare and rest and train until the moment came when they had to come into action. When Paul talks about strongholds in our passage, this is what he is talking about. There are places, there are physical places, if you will, there are addresses in our thought lives in which the enemy can sit and and stay and prepare and plan and work and wait to prepare for his next moment, his next attack. That's what this passage here is referring to. There are spots, and if there are areas, if we're not diligent, can be outposts of the enemy, Not miles away, not far away from us, not in some other state or country or county or whatever else right here in our minds. Enemies are places where the enemy can hide and be free to do as John 10.10 says, to steal and to kill and destroy. You ever wonder why sometimes when God challenges you with something in your life or brings in your life an encouraging word or whatever it might be, how easy and how quick it is for something to come and try to squelch that out? You ever wondered why that happens? You ever wondered why, why in the world when I hear truth, when I hear God's word or I hear, you know, whatever it might be, that the enemy, it seems like he is quick and fast to respond to that thing and bring destruction in my lives. That is the concept that Paul is talking about here. 
It's a fight. It's a war. And honestly, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a war that you should never, ever lose. Let's read it this morning. Verse 3, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to do what? To knock down the strongholds. Now again, this is an interesting passage, isn't it? We, we don't fight like normal people fight, right? We don't work like it's just like people outside of God, the gospel, outside of Christ's work. We do this differently. Now, if you think, don't you think God's mighty weapons are pretty powerful and strong? They are, aren't they? If I had a giant Uzi up here today, it's a powerful weapon. Now, but here's the deal, that I don't have to use that weapon, do I? I can leave it sit on the stage and, um, and be amazed by it, and I could say how powerful this weapon is and how effective it is and how great and how amazing it is and how much damage it could do, but if I don't pick it up and use it to destroy and tear down something, then I am just appreciating a piece of work, right? See, Paul's talking about that here. We use this to, to tear on strongholds of what? Of two things, human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. When he says the word teach them here, you may think that this means we have to teach the people who are, are, are not knowing God. That's not what he's referring here to the rebellious thoughts. We capture the thoughts, we capture these things, and teach these things to obey Christ. Man, there is so much awesome in this passage right here. We could spend a lot of time unbreaking this, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we'd be here a long time, but I don't want to do that. I want to I be, be a little more diligent today. So what I want you to do is look at verses 4 and 5 again and circle the word arguments. If you still have a, a paper Bible, circle it there. If you have a, a, a Bible on your app or on your phone, uh, highlight that. Highlight the word arguments. That's a very important word. This word right here speaks, and your translation might say, reasoning or imaginations. See, here's the truth here this morning, is that we can't afford to think thoughts that God does not think, right? We can't afford to think thoughts about us, about our friends, about our neighbors, about our enemies, about our lives, about our hearts, about anything that God doesn't think about all those things and people. Amen? We know this. And the moment we do... We entertain a war, and we entertain a lie, and a war is started. And that war speaks to the very things we war against, the very purposes of God in our lives. And these opposing thoughts have to come from someplace, don't they? What Paul here says is there's a place, there's a spot, there's a, a, a fort, a stronghold, a location that needs to be pulled down. So how we do this? Glad you asked. The way forward is to literally think in a different fashion. Think in a different fashion. Now, different, when I say different, I don't just mean just any different way. You know, like we got to think differently. So I've got to, you know, well, what does that mean? I think different. Well, you know, I think out of the box. No, that word that I want to focus on, we need to think in a redeemed way. We need to think and teach our minds and show our minds how to think like God thinks and how to submit our minds and submit our hearts to be and think like God would have us to think. 
We said before that when, when it comes to anything in our lives, God's desire and God's plan is that we would be redeemed. Taken from garbage, from nothing, from whatever you might have take, been, come from. And he, in his loving power and mercy, has come and changed us and transformed us and made us something that we should not have been. It makes no sense that I'm preaching before you today. I should not be here. And many of you could say the same thing, right? You shouldn't be here. How many times did Christians say, I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be this. I shouldn't be that. Why is that the case? It's because God has redeemed you. He has changed you. He has made you. He has formed you. And he wants the same thing in your thought life. We can be positionally with God, but we can sometimes in our minds, our minds and our hearts don't catch up to that truth yet, do they? See, this right here is mental health. Mental health boiled down is to think in a different way. To think as God has called us to think. Thank you, Pastor Joe. I appreciate that this morning. And there's an example of this from Mark chapter 8. And if you want you, if you would, to turn there this morning. Mark chapter 8. It's a story there in which Jesus explains this truth. He lays this truth down and gives some feedback or gives some background. He's, he's done it again. He has once again fed thousands of people with a couple loaves and a couple fish, right? You know the story, you know this is the second time he does this. Not the first time, but the second time. Now how many would think that if Jesus were to be here physically today and he were to say, man, guys, are you hungry? You want some chicken or you want some fish or whatever? Here, I got a little piece of fish here from KFC and starts handing it all out to us, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be awesome. Now what happens if he does that again a few weeks later? It'd be amazing, right? How could you forget that moment? How could you see that and say, I can't believe that he can feed us when you see that happening? And so here, Jesus is at a position in a place where he is being challenged by, by Pharisees who wanted a sign he was real. It's like, hello, <laughs> did you not just see what happened? They would have, okay? They're testing him. And he does not take the bait, and so what he does is he gets into a boat, goes across the lake, and he is with his disciples. Now, there's a problem in the boat. And so listen to what it says here, verse 14, he says, But the disciples had forgotten to bring food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of Pharisees, which are the people who have spiritual knowledge without any submission to the truth, and of Herod, who, has, who would, would represent a lot of carnal knowledge, that is knowledge without God. He says, beware of these two things. It is coming. It is happening. The influence is very possible here. Okay? Now again, remember... He has just fed 4,000 men and women, probably more than 4,000 when you count women and children, with a few loaves and a few fish. Remember, he did that a few weeks back. And so here they are in this boat, and they're hungry. Now, if you're a guy here, you know how this works, right? When you get hungry, you get hungry. You know, my wife can kind of make it work for a while. You know, she can, you know, kind of be hungry for a little bit and doesn't affect her. But when I get hungry, I'm hungry, right? I'm like, dude. I want some food, you know I mean? Nothing else seems to matter at that moment because I'm hungry. These guys are there. 
So, verse 16, they began to argue with each other because they, they hadn't bought any bread. I can imagine it like, dude, where's the bread at? You're supposed to, I didn't bring it. You were supposed to bring it. Well, I thought you were going to bring the bread. And now here, here we are. We're out in the middle of the lake. We're hungry. We have nothing to eat. Come on. And as, they're hap- as this is happening, Jesus knew what they're saying. He said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you even understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves and bread, how many baskets did you pick up? And I love this because he makes them answer. 12, they, you can you imagine like, these, these guys like, 12. <laughs> and, and, then, when, and, then, and then when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, tell me, how many loaves did you pick up? They might have said, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going I'm to say it. Someone tell me, how many loaves? How many was it? Seven. Don't you understand? See, you got, you're, you're here at my leading. You've seen what I've done. You were there. You saw with your eyes. You witnessed this firsthand. You've heard me teach about how I am the bread of life. You've heard me talk about how this is what matters more than anything. Don't you see? Don't you hear? Not only have you experienced this with your eyes, you've also heard it with your note, with your, with your, your ears. Don't you understand yet? See, what's happening here is Jesus is teaching these guys about a truth that they had to learn if they were going to move forward. He says, you're worried about this, and now you're worried about how you're going to eat. This word, don't you understand, comes from the root word arguments in our 2 Corinthians text. It's the same words. It speaks to imaginations, speculations, reasoning, and arguments. So Jesus is saying here essentially, why is your reasoning at war with the truth? In question, he was being posed in 2 Corinthians. Why is your reasoning at war with the truth? See, you don't have to check your mind at the door. When you're a believer, you don't check your mind at the door and say, well, whatever, I'm just going to believe and that's just it. No, there is the, the, the gospel, the truth of the word, that is in it. There is so much there that is ab- absolutely stands up to scrutiny and test and truth. You don't check your mind at the door. But here's the deal is Jesus tried to help them understand that their reasoning is at war with the truth. Why? It's a stronghold in the enemy of your, as, as, as the enemy of your thoughts, and the stronghold is you are thinking in carnal terms. Now here's how this works, and I want you to participate if you would. How many of you at some point in your life have seen God do something miraculous? You've seen it with your own eyes. Now, if you haven't, don't put your hands up. If you have, put up. I mean, seriously, let's, let's, let's like we like believe it today. You know, you've seen God do something miraculous. And you're like, man, it was unbelievable. Well, keep them, keep them up, keep them up. Just, you know, this, it's a good workout, right? You were healthy, right? So we're going to work out today. You know, you've seen that happen. God's done this. Amen. He's done it. Now, how many of you, same hands, have seen, I'm pushing the spot, I will, have seen God do something, and he hasn't worked like he did before. And then how many of you with your hands up have said, where's God in this? You've, you've, you've come to a place of 
There's been a place of, of concern and a place of worry, a place of, look, what happened? See, now you, now you get it, don't you? Jesus is teaching these guys a lesson about life and a lesson about what it means. Did God change? No. See, when you, when you, when you come to Christ, what you think about is addressed, isn't it? When you come to Jesus, what you think about needs to be addressed and be different. For instance, my unsaved friends, when he thinks about struggle, he would think about struggle through the grid of selfishness. Now, he may add God or a form of God in there someplace, but he's not going to think about God as being the shield, his strength, his song. He won't think like that because he doesn't have God in his life, right? He doesn't have his heart to Jesus. So when you come to Christ, what you think about is changed. But here's the deal. The longer you walk with God, the longer that you mature, hopefully, in him, what you think about needs to move from what you think to how you think. That you no longer think of things in terms that you did before. You think of things in the terms of how you think. See, this is how it happens in the boats. Jesus and the disciples are there in disagreements. Don't argue with God. Not, not a good idea. So Jesus says, why are you reasoning? You have no bread. You're going hungry. Didn't you see what I did a few weeks back? Didn't you see what I just did a little bit ago? I, I said, why are you so worried? And these guys say, oh, Jesus, come on, man. They're like, Jesus, we, we get it. We, we, you know, the spiritual stuff, we love that. That's good. We, we eat that up. It's really good. We, you're the bread of life. Ab amen, absolutely. But Jesus, I'm hungry. All you talk about right now is spiritual things. All you're saying right now is how great you are. You're the bread of life. But I'm hungry. It hurts in here. What are you doing about that? How are you going to solve that problem? What are you going to do about my hunger? Your spiritual stuff, great, good, fine. But this is my problem right now. And Jesus says, don't you understand? It's connected. It's together. It's the war begins. The enemy comes out of the stronghold and begins to try to kill and destroy and take away what God begins to communicate and share in this moment. And pulls it away. He says, you need to understand that. He whispers the very thing he, the enemy did, because he doesn't change that much. He's got the same tactics. When you learn those tactics, you become much more effective. The enemy comes back at this, what God spoke and God said and says, did God really say that? Did he really say that? He's the bread of life. You're hungry right now. He's good. How good is God right now when you're struggling? He's, he's this, he's that. Did God really say that? Come on, man. See, you and I have an enemy who exalts himself to be in competition with truth. He does. Lies, we believe, like in Eden, come from the demonic realm. If you are here today and you say, I don't believe in demons and all this kind of stuff, I will tell you, I will submit to you this morning that that is a real thing. The enemy works. The enemy has minions. He had not the movie. He has helpers. He has workers that are trying to undermine God's word in your hearts. And Paul here says those things don't come from far away and all that stuff. They can come from strongholds right in your mind, right in your heart. You have to tear those things down. See, here's the deal, though, this morning. The devil is no competition for God. 
I tire of believers who get so concerned and so worried about the enemy and says, oh, the devil is just eating my lunch. Oh, man, my life is so hard. The devil's just getting me down. Well, then tell him to go where he needs to go. You have authority, the word says, over the enemy. You have authority over the demons. You have authority over these things. The devil has no power, no real power in your life. He's no competition for God. So how do we do this? How do we... How do we walk through this? See, here's the deal. What makes the stronghold powerful is our yes to the stronghold, our allowing it to stay in our lives. When you see it and you say, that stronghold, just it's comfortable or it's easy or whatever else, or I don't want to deal with this thing, what makes it powerful is the yes in your life. Man, I've seen so many times in my own life when God has challenged me and this passage, this truth has come forward so often. See, it's not this God versus devil in an epic WWE smackdown. God won already. The devil is a chess piece on the board. He has no power over us whatsoever. How we do this quickly today is not by thinking happy thoughts. Uh, back, in, back, in the, back in the day, there was a, a guy on Saturday Night Live called Al Franken. He was, his name was Stuart Small. I got a picture of him up here. And you're going to see right here, this is our senator. You know, happy, happy thoughts, right? He's our senator, Al Franken. Uh, he taught us to believe that if I just got to think I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people like me, that's all I had to think about. That is not true, right? It's foolishness. You know that. Even if you are not a believer, you know that. And if you're a believer, you more than anybody should know that it's not by just thinking happy thoughts. Oh, but go to your happy place. Because you know if you've struggled before with things, you know that's just not powerful enough, is it? You need something stronger and bigger, positive energy and happy thoughts and whatever won't help you long and won't help you heal. You know that. Most of us understand it, yet we rarely honestly engage the fight. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about engaging the fight in our lives. And I'm going to do it Quickly take notes if you would today. Again, if you're, you're here and you're not taking notes, man, I encourage you to be a note taker. It's really important. These, these five things you can do in your life, you're going to tear the strongholds down. It's like, it's like taking a shower too. You've got to do this daily. Now, I assume that you took a shower today, right? I hope you did. If you didn't, uh, your neighbor knows that already, so whatever. But, you know, now here's the deal. though. I also assume that tomorrow you'll take a shower as well, right? I assume you will the next day and, and the next day. And sometimes if it's in the middle of summertime, it's like 100 degrees out and, and super humid, you maybe take three showers a day because you stink, right? You know, guys, you know this. Your wife says, go take a shower, you stink. And so, you know, now you do this once, and you, you know, you're not, you're not good forever, right? Because the next day you're going to get stinky again, aren't you? The next day it's going to happen again, and then it's going to happen again and happen again. Some of us more than others, and so we need, to, we need to take that. These things are like taking a shower. You need this. And sometimes you need more than one. Number one, I must choose to feed my mind with his truth. That is one on purpose. If you are not feeding your mind with his truth, you are going to go to the lowest common denominator in your life. You just will. If you're not feeding your mind this truth, it's going to happen. Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need to feed your mind with his truth. 
Memorize it, read it, study it, ask questions about it, learn about it. You may not get it right away. You may mess up. You may say, I don't get this whole thing. Then ask questions. Then, then, but you need to feed your mouth this truth. Because if in a moment of difficulty, if you are not allowing the truth of God's word to wash your mind and wash your heart, you will not get it. Because the truth is, this morning, is that walking with God, knowing Jesus, is not a normal thing. It's not a human Endeavor, as it says earlier, we need different kinds of weapons. Those weapons come from the word. One. Number two, locate. I must recognize the locations of my enemy strong of the enemy strongholds in my mind. Here's some clues today. The first clue is, is your past. What was, what was done to you and how did you react to that thing? You may have, may have been here and there's things in your past that no one else knows about, but you do and God does. Maybe your spouse or whatever else. And those are things that, are, that you've not put under the blood of Jesus yet. You've not allowed him to walk away and wash that clean. This could be a whole series in of itself. And so we can't get into this deeply but this morning. But look to your past. If there's things in your past that have done to you, there's a very possible chance of a stronghold present. Present, when, when challenged, Jesus' word is not the first consideration. What comes to the top in your mind? When you are pressed something spiritually, what's coming to the top of your mind? If it's not the word of God, then you have a stronghold in your heart. If when someone says, you need to act in faith, and you first don't think of faith, you think of my own little self-centered world, you have a stronghold. Look to the present. Look to the Holy Spirit and the world. word. It seems like it would be a, a, a revolving thing, but it's not. Look to the Holy Spirit and the word. He reveals things to us. The word brings them out. James chapter 1 says the word is like a mirror that God uses to shine upon our lives and say, Steve, this is what you need to work on. How many of you before have seen God do that? When you allow the word to wash your mind, wash your heart, when you see him this morning and you allow him to be the mirror in your life, you submit your life to him, he will bring things out of you. The next clue is other people. Get real with people. They will tell you. It's, it's funny. Um, you know the, 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 the old illustration that, you know, this kid walks into a bathroom in high school and he walks out and he's got a paper trail behind him. I don't mean paper like school paper. And he's walking around and, and he's, he's doing his thing and, and such and doesn't see it. A real friend will tell him he's got paper coming out of his rear end, right? But also, it'd be smart for him too not to say, no, I don't. But to submit to that and be real about it and say, thank you, I'm going to do something about this. See, so often we keep people in an arm's length, don't we? Because we don't want people to know the real us because the real us is pain, frustration, and problems. The real us is difficult. The real us is, as we know, is a difficult place. When you allow people into your heart, you allow them to say, be honest with you, that's not a bad thing. Be open to that. Ask people for that. Ask God for people like that in your life. You need people. Number two, you may need counseling help. Counseling is not bad. Maybe here today and have some, some big issues. You might need some counseling. Go talk to somebody. Deal with this. You might at some point need medication for a season. You need medication for a season. A, a, a medical imbalance in the brain is real, but God heals. But like any, any meds, they're band-aids. They're not, they're not your long-term solution to life. Allow God to speak and to heal your heart and to heal your mind. 
If you, could, if you this morning had a mental illness and you would change your philosophy and saying that my hope and my healing is in my meds and not in my healing God, you're going to miss the mark this morning. You just will. Adderall is not your savior. Jesus Christ is. Adderall can be a band-aid for a season. But when it becomes your savior, you have a problem. Don't allow that to happen. Work with your doctor. Don't be foolish. But when God heals, they will take you off and they'll be amazed. Right? Number three, carry the cross. I must choose to lay down my agenda and carry the cross. Luke 9.23 says this. Jesus says, who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. 2 Timothy 2.11 really gives color to that. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. When it comes to self, is selfish or selfless? Which one's better? Carry the cross, you'll have, you'll have less space in your arms for lies. Carry the cross and allow God to speak to you like that. You'll have less space in your arms for, for, for foolishness and for garbage and things. And, and you, need to, you need to do things to move yourself to this place. Don't just want it, but do things like this. Number four, armor up. Ephesians 6 speaks to the armor that God has given you quickly. The helmet of salvation challenges us to think as saved people, right? The breastplate of righteousness, our vitals are protected by God. Our loins are girded with truth. Your center is firmly established in the gospel. So if somebody tries to push you left or right or back or forward, your center is firmly established with the gospel. That no one can take you and move you and change you because you have girded your loins with the truth. Next one, your feet covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In, in, back in the Bible days, the soldiers had spikes in their boots that dug into the ground so that when they were ready for battle, they couldn't be driven back physically. They would be in a position of battle and ready so when the, bat, when the enemy would come and try to push them down, they had feet firmly placed in the ground so they could not be pushed back. Why does this speak to the preparation of the gospel of peace? You have to prepare yourself first. Because the enemy will come like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You don't have to lose like that. The shield of faith, fiery darts will come. Well, you can beat those things off when you have the shield of faith. The sword of the spirit, the word. It's time to go on the offensive and say like Jesus said, enemy, it is written. It is written. And then the last one is the band comes forward. The last one is incredibly important. You need an encounter with Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 39 says, you study the scriptures diligently because they, they, you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You refuse to come to me to actually have life. Jesus was addressing Pharisees whose lives were surrounded by the study of scripture. They knew the Bible left, right, forward, backwards, up, down, whatever way you can, you can think of. He was explaining to them what the study of Scripture was to lead them to. If the printed page does not lead to the person, the process is incomplete. The printed page leads us to the person. The Word of God, the Bible, leads us to Jesus. If you have an encounter with the, with the printed page, you can argue and win arguments. 
If you have an encounter with a person that the printed page reveals, you can walk away changed, not compromising truth. We know Jesus through the word, but the word is what brings us to know Jesus. Amen? If we get that mixed up and backwards and, 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 and we fall away from that, we miss the point. It brings us to Jesus. We need an encounter with Christ. We need him to come into our life and to change us and make us and mold us and form us. I remember in college, as I closed this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed. I remember a moment in college. I've told a story before, but you haven't heard it before. I was struggling. I was struggling with my call, with some things in my life. I was having a hard time. I was a stutterer. I had, oh, just, man, I had so many issues and problems. And I, rem- I, w- I will never forget the moment. It was an altar call. I don't know who preached. I don't remember who, I don't remember anything about that. I just remember that God spoke and said, Steve, you need to go to the altar. You need to give this, me, this thing to me. And I remember as the preacher closed, going down to the altar as fast as I could and I, I think I was, there wasn't many there. It didn't matter to me. I didn't, wasn't there for them. And I, I kneeled down, and behind me, a, a, a professor came up to me, put his arm on, on my shoulder, and he going to speak some, some words of wisdom in my life. And it came down to the fact, I won't give you all the details, but it came down to the fact of how desperately I needed an encounter with Jesus. You need an encounter with Christ. Your need for this never changes. The longer you beca- you're a Christian, the more you need it. The longer you know the word, the more you need him. The, lo- the more you know about God, the more it should reveal to you that you need him and you need an encounter with him. So many people are trying to medicate away a deep-seated problem in their lives. Medicate away a, 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 an illness, spiritually, mentally, physically, whatever it might be. They're trying to medicate this away, which those are not always the, the worst things, but they're forgetting the most important part. That an encounter with Christ is where change is brought. We never forget that in our modern way of thinking, that we need Jesus. I will tell you that morning as I encountered him, he challenged me to do something as I did what he told me to do. I encountered him in the next few, moments, next few months in an absolutely incredible way. When God calls you, he will call you to action. When you submit to his word and you do what he's told you to do, he'll bring change in your life. That's an encounter with Christ. You are here today and you are struggling in some way. The, the war, the battle, the fight, it's in your mind. You know it's there. It's tough. It's difficult. You are fighting through it. You're trying your hardest and you know that you're not doing a very good job or you know that it's just not working out that well. I want to encourage you this morning. You might say, all this stuff, I've tried these things, but you probably haven't done this yet. You said, God, I give my life, my world, my heart, my mind, May it be fixed upon you, Jesus. That's what Jesus was communicating to those guys in the boat. You can struggle. You might have struggle. You can have victory. You might have victory right now. But if you allow your mind to get off of what's truth, 
You'll be looking for something that just isn't there. You'll be saying, God, I, I know what you said, but God, I'm hungry. I know what you said, but God, I'm, I'm, t- I'm hurting. I'm, I'm tired of this. You need an encounter with him. Stand across this room this morning if you would. The word says, blessed are those who are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus, this morning, we acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge, Lord, that at times our minds can, be, can miss the mark. We can get focused on things we shouldn't. Lord, we, we find that we're in a place, Lord, we're not healthy. We're not strong. We're not doing things right. God, I pray and I ask this morning that you would, Lord, in our hearts, we would, that we would submit our lives to you and Jesus, that you would change that situation in our lives. We come to you.